Good morning. Good morning. I'm Erica Allen. I'm one of the pastors here at Horizon Church. And before I go any further, I'm going to ask Abby and her family just to stand up. Sorry. Yes. We, um, there was a moment in that song where I got a little choked up because we prayed for this baby for a long time here at this church. And this is their first time worshiping together. So if everybody will just extend your hands over here towards this family. Abby's done such a good job leading this church and we're so glad for that baby to be in his arms. So let us pray. God, we thank you so much for this family. We thank you for this baby and we thank you for the gifts that you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity this church has to nurture this family in your love your forgiveness and your goodness. And we pray God will be faithful unto that. We, we thank you so much, God, for this family. And we pray that you'll use this family to draw more and more and more families unto you and into your kingdom. We love you and we thank you so much. Amen. 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 Awesome. Awesome. All right. This week, a story absolutely captivated my heart. Um, I'm going to have to use my notes for it, and I'm going to try not to cry, but for years, 89-year-old Eleanor Hansen has had dementia for years. It's progressively gotten worse, so the last few years, it's, it's, um, it's been really hard. Some days, she can hardly remember anything. She's very confused. Other days are a bit better, but this disease has taken a lot from her. After her husband died a few years ago, she moved from the small town that she grew up in in Georgia, so her accent probably sounds like mine. Um, she moved from her small town in Georgia to, uh, she moved in with her daughter who lives in Utah, and they've, she's lived with them for, lived with her daughter for a couple years now. Um, she stays with her. So her daughter gets a phone call, and she's, uh, it's from her, da her daughter, so it's uh, Eleanor's granddaughter and she says hey the baby's here I'd love for you to come to the hospital to meet the baby and she's like well no one can care for mom and she said well bring bring grandma with you so the grandmother who has dementia goes with them to the hospital and she's a little confused when she gets there in the hospital room she can't even remember her daughter's name she can't remember her granddaughter's name she doesn't understand this new baby being in the room she's just like really confused so they have her sit down for just a few minutes and her daughter holds the baby meets the new grandbaby and Eleanor says bring me bring me the baby bring me the baby she puts her in her arms she says I think I remember what to do think I can remember what to do and she looks at the baby and she says now you listen this is how it goes she starts to sing a lullaby to this baby I love you a bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck I love you a bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck and she goes on to sing this song this woman who can't remember her daughter's name who can't remember her granddaughter's name who has no idea where she is in the moments when everything else makes no sense, what bubbles out of her is what she'd spent 70 years doing, singing this song over five children, over 18 grandchildren, and over 17 great-grandchildren. When I ask you a question this morning, when everything else in life fades away, what do you want to bubble out of you when you are surrounded in a room with people who love you and care about you? What is it that you want to bubble out of you? Because what's going to bubble out of you is the habits and the things you are establishing right now. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, is how we can begin to live lives that form habits 
that when all else has faded away, when even your mind isn't very present, what is it that is going to bubble out of you and be shared with the people around you this morning? Last week, I explained to you guys that we all have these sort of imaginary boxes, right? Y'all remember, if you were here last week, you remember the imaginary boxes? They have your hopes, dreams, and desires in them. Do y'all remember that? Like, I hope that I'm going to work this kind of career. My dream is to have this kind of future. My desire is to drive this kind of car and live in this kind of house. I want to be this kind of friend. I want to be this kind of community member. I want to be this kind of person who follows Jesus. I have these hopes, dreams, and desires. And we talked about how God, the creator of the world, wove those hopes, dreams, and desires into your heart so that you would be prepared to live out the purpose that God has for you in this place, on this earth, for such a time as this. Not, not far away. Not, not you've already had your chance and it's too late. Right now, there are hopes, dreams, and desires that you are carrying around in these imaginary boxes. And over time, we get in relationships with people and we hand these hopes, dreams, and desires over to somebody who we love and care about, a friend, a spouse, a family member. We hand it over and it becomes not any longer hopes, dreams, and desires. It becomes these really heavy expectations. We say, here, make this happen. When I retire, this is what I want it to look like. I want to retire at 35. I think I told y'all I want to retire at 35, live in the mountains of North Carolina, have a tiny house and a compostable toilet. Some people told me that was weird last week. That's fine. Uh, but you hand over your expectations to people. Make it happen. And when I hand that expectation over to Chris, he's like, this is a little too heavy. I'm not living in the mountains of North Carolina with a compostable toilet. We're not doing that. Three kids? We're not doing that, right? But these heavy expectations you begin to carry around, right? And so then our relationships become transactional. All right, all right, if you'll just stop talking about it, I'll give you one little thing that you want out of your box. And since I've given you this one thing, can you give me one thing? So these relationships become transactional. Do y'all see that? I take a little, I give a little, you owe a little, and we start keeping score, and we're looking over our back, like who's gonna want something else from us? And then our relationships have very low trust, right? We can't trust each other. We don't, we don't believe you, we don't know what you're gonna ask for next. It starts to get really, really uncomfortable. And we start living these really unfulfilled and unhealthy lives in our relationships, right? And so we, we're living these transactional relationships and, and God wants more for us is what we learned last week. God doesn't want us just keeping score. And his example for how to have relationships that are healthy is Jesus, right? Jesus Christ, who gave everything he had to us and expects nothing in return. He doesn't expect you to be here this morning. I do, but he doesn't. I'm just kidding. Uh, he, he, doesn't expect you, he doesn't expect anything from you. He gave everything he had. He gave his life up for you, and he expects nothing from you in return. And that is what we are to build our relationships on, is, is that kind of relationship. I t it took me a long time to explain that last week. So people were like, gosh, you did it a lot quicker this week. I, I just want to let you know that I did a little bit of field research this week. I asked some men, I said, what's in your box of hopes, dreams, and desires? And most of them were like, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. And I asked women and they were like, thank you so much for telling me. This is what all is in my hopes, dreams, and desires box. I'm just kidding. I just 
did the field research at home, and that's how that conversation went. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was funny. <laughs> um, but God wants more for you. He wants really um, fulfilled relationships. And today we're going to talk about one way to keep your hopes and dreams and desires in your box and not pass them off as expectations and start this, this terrible cycle of transactional relationships. We're going to talk about boundaries and honoring boundaries that God sets forth for us in relationships. We're going to honor boundaries that God has set forth for us in relationships. Because here's the deal. For 70 years, Eleanor Coleman, that woman holding that baby, singing that sweet lullaby, she could be found in a rocking chair at 8 p.m., rocking a baby to, to sleep, singing this song to them over and over and over about how much they are loved. When new babies were born, she set up new boundaries in her life. She spent less time making meals for everyone in this small town of Georgia who needed it, and she spent more time with the new life and the relationship she wanted to invest in. She even took a month off from singing in the choir at her church. She didn't travel as much in retirement as she expected that she would because she set these boundaries up in her life so she could say yes to the things that really mattered by saying no to the things that weren't as important. It meant saying no to some really good things. It's good to build, uh, to, to bring meals to people who are sick and singing a choir. That's, it's really good to work hard and, and do what you're supposed to. It's really good, but sometimes saying no to that means we're able to say yes to the relationships that we need to invest in, to the relationships that matter and mean something. Healthy boundaries rise from two things, a deep understanding of your hopes and dreams and desires. If you want some healthy boundaries, if you want to be able to say no to some things in your life, even some really good things, so you can say yes to the things that matter, you've got to have a deep understanding of your hopes and dreams and desires. If you haven't sat down and spent time with your Creator to get really clear about your hopes and dreams and desires, I hope you'll do that this week. More than anything else, I hope you'll spend time every single day. What, God, is your hope for my life? What is your dream for my life? What can you do to create my heart to be full of the desires you have for the world? Healthy boundaries rise from a deep understanding of your hopes and dreams and desires. Healthy boundaries are different than those walls we build to isolate ourselves and protect ourselves, right? Healthy boundaries, healthy boundaries rise from hopes, a deep understanding of your hopes, dreams, and desires. And then the second thing is healthy boundaries rise from an unwavering commitment to your relationships an unwavering commitment to your relationships. Where are you a little shaky about your relationships? Where are you a little shaky about... <laughs> I think the eye roll was my favorite. <laughs> I love that. An unwavering commitment to your relationships. So two things, hopes, dreams, and desires, and an unwavering commitment to your relationships. This means that you are going to establish healthy boundaries, and you might disappoint someone else who's been taking advantage of you not having good boundaries. Okay, this might mean you disappoint a boss because you go home at 5 o'clock to put a kid to bed or make a t-ball game or actually have that, friend, that dinner with friends or go see your own grandma. It might mean you say no to somebody that you will disappoint so that you can say yes to a relationship that matters. It also might mean your hopes, dreams, and desires, and the career and the purpose that God has had for you. It might mean that once in a while, you have to say no to that bedtime. 
with, with kids. You have to say no to that evening commitment. You have to say no to the things that are good in your life because you have to say yes to something else. But it flows from this idea of a healthy boundary. This is hard, right? It's really hard to figure out how to do this. But healthy boundaries, I, I want to tell you why it's worth doing the hard work of figuring out what your healthy boundaries are. Because it keeps all of your hopes, dreams, and desires in your box. And they're not flowing out as these toxic expectations on the people around you. Does that make sense? Your hopes, dreams, and desires stay in your box. You get to focus on them and work for them. And other people's healthy boundary, other people's hopes, dreams and desires get to stay in their boxes too. So we're not carrying around all these lofty, heavy expectations and we aren't passing them off on people. We're all carrying these boxes of hopes, dreams and desires with us. We're honoring them. We're committed to them and to the people who make it happen. And we let other people have their boxes of hopes, dreams and desires too. We know what's in it. We appreciate it. We support them and we encourage them to have it. This is what healthy boundaries allow us to do. All right, anybody here ready for how we do this? Ephesians chapter 5. Yes, good, good. All right, we'll see how this goes. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 is where we're going to start today. Um, so I just decided we were going to be real today, and I'm going to tell you that this verse, I worked in a faith-based uh, center for women who have been abused, like, physically and sexually, and I can tell you that this verse has been used by the church to hurt and abuse people. And in this church, we're going to make sure that every verse we read is what it, God has intended for it to be. Amen. And that is to build a kingdom here that is powerful, compelling, and life-giving. That's what the gospel is about. And so if any verse in this thing is used to break down or punish people, it is not being used correctly. So we're going to start with this. It's going to really help us with our boundaries. Let me tell you, first of all, what this verse was written for. So a man named Paul, he was an apostle. Before he was an apostle, which is a person who spreads the good news of Jesus, before he was an apostle, he literally had a job where he killed people who were following Jesus. That was his job. He literally like went after them and killed them. On the Damascus Road, which is this road between Jerusalem and Damascus, it's this 125-mile trade route that's really important um, because it gets, like, goods from the city center out to other parts. So it keeps the economy going, you know, like, it's important that this road is open. So he's on this Damascus Road, headed out there to check on things, work for the emperor, whatever, kill some more people, throw them in jail. He's on his way out there, and he has this encounter with God where he goes blind, Okay, he goes blind and he experiences this encounter with Jesus where his perspective is completely changed. So all the ways that he thought the, the world worked, God changed everything inside of him, his heart, his life, everything. And he spends a couple days, like a week or so with all these people around him and he realizes he wants to follow Jesus and he spends the rest of his life starting new churches that offers this compelling, like, Jesus movement to the world. So he goes to these places and they, they eat dinner together and they talk about the teachings contained in, in the Old Testament and, and the teachings of Jesus and they figure out how to model their lives and live as people who are completely different than the world around them and then they offer like hope and goodness and light. He says, our point is we're going to make sure that widows are cared for, that the poor have what they need to experience the dignity and worth of people. This is an awesome church, right? Doesn't this sound good? These people are committed to this kind of action 
in the world. They make sure orphans have homes, that hungry people have food in their belly, that the desperate and the exhausted have energy and joy from the only thing, the only source that will give it to you truly. So he writes, so he like starts these churches, the government gets mad, they throw him in jail, this church planter starting new churches, they throw him in jail. And so then he's like, gets word, hey, these churches have gone crazy. They're not doing so good without your leadership. So from jail, he writes them letters about how to get back on track, how to get back focused on what needs to happen. So what's happening in Ephesus, because this is a letter written from Paul while he's in jail to the people at Ephesus, which is why we call it Ephesians. So while he's in jail, he hears, like these families are crazy. They're dysfunctional. They're headed to church screaming at each other on Sunday mornings. It, like, how, are we, how in the world are we going to change society? How are we going to change the world? How are we going to shine light and ignite change if our relationships are a mess? So Paul gives them a few, a few terms. So I want you to know that's what this is written about. These verses are written about creating families that honor God and, and share his goodness with the world. For those of you not married yet, you're in the right place. For those of you not interested in starting a new family, that's okay, you're in the right place. Because you have friends who are married, you have friends who are in families, and they are gonna need you to speak this truth over them. So I am glad you are here this morning. So wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Can I tell y'all something? I would always tell y'all this. I told Chris, I said, I'm gonna preach on Ephesians 5:22 <laughs> on Sunday morning. My husband, like he reads the Bible and he knows it, but like if you even ask him like, what is John 3, 16? He'd be like, well, the theme of John is this and this is the history about it, but he like doesn't know like word for word the verse, right? I kid y'all not. I said, I'm gonna preach on Ephesians 5, 22. And he's like, oh, without looking at anything, wives, submit your, yourselves to the Lord as to your husband. I'm like, who are you? He was like, I was like, that's the Bible verse you have memorized? He's like, I'm married to you. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> we will pay attention to that later. <laughs> uh, well, I submit yourselves to the Lord. So this, in its, in its ancient Greek, this is actually how it reads. Wives unto your husbands as Christ. Does anybody notice something about that sentence? It's missing a verb, right? Submit, yeah. The, 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 <laughs> yes, wives unto your husbands as Christ. A little weird. So, and this is why it's missing the verb. In, in Greek, the sentence before it is where you like look at the verb and then that verb is inferred into later sentences. Does that make sense? So we can't just look at wives under your husbands as Christ because there's no verb. We put it in there later when we translated the Bible because in English, you have verbs and sentences, right? They go with subjects. But in ancient Greek, you said the, the verb at the beginning and then all the sentences that follow it just sort of infer this verb. So that's where the submit comes in. So let's go all the way, yes. So Ephesians 5, 21, the, the verb is submit. Do y'all see this? I'm like going back to first grade grammar here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's where we get this. And this submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is like its own verb. So it's not just submit, it's submit to one another as Christ, like as it is in reverence for Christ. It's like all one sentence. Now this is the sentence before, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then we get this, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Can I tell y'all something? That verse makes me cringe. It, it makes me cringe, right? And I'll tell, I need to tell you something. 
in first century, people were reading Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and no woman cringed. No person in the room thought it was weird because this just was the way it was in, first, in the first century. Women's word didn't matter in court. If you witnessed a crime and you were there to tell about it, no one cared what you said in court if you were a woman. You couldn't own property. You couldn't vote. You could nothing. You were a second-class citizen. So people hear Paul say, submit to one, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And no one thinks it's weird. No one cringes. No one thinks it's different. But what is different is the verse before it. See, Paul starts with common ground in this church in Ephesus. Y'all, this is the way things are, right? These, th this is what women do. But he, he, he throws something in there. As unto Christ. So let's take the wives and the women out of there. And let's, let's think about what it means to submit to Christ. In Luke chapter 2, when Jesus' birth, is when his arrival in the world is announced, his mama... His mama Mary sings a song. And let me tell you about this song, because this is who we submit to. This is the authority that, that Paul is telling people to submit to. The, the meek and the lowly will be raised up. Do you hear that? When we fall under the authority of Jesus, when we fall at the feet of Jesus, what happens? We are lifted up. The empty, the empty Mary says she sings this song. Those who are empty and exhausted and desperate and hopeless, Mary says, at the feet of Jesus, submitting and surrendering to Jesus, they will be filled. At the feet of Jesus, corrupt nations that have treated people terrible for years and years and years, they will fall. And the kingdom of God, where orphans and widows are as important as royalty, that is what will be built up. I don't know about y'all, but I'll submit to that all day, every day. Paul says, in a world, in a world that has fallen apart and makes no sense, submit yourself to the authority of the Jesus who's going to turn it all upside down anyway. Submit yourself there first. Submit yourself to the, to the Jesus who sees a rich tax collector who's cheated people out of money and calls him by name and asks him to come out of the tree and spend time with him. Submit yourself to that authority. Submit yourself to the authority of the Jesus who was walking through his busy life from one place to the next and a woman who'd been sick for 12 years reached out for the hem of his coat and he turns around and he looks her in the face and he says, your faith has healed you. Submit yourself to the authority of, of the first person ever in the history of the world to recognize women and lepers and outcasts and poor and orphan and widows. Submit yourself to his authority first. You want to talk about changing transactional relationships? You want to talk about busting out expectations? You want to talk about ways that all of us get to carry around our hopes, dreams, and desires in our box proud of them? Submit yourself to the authority of the creator of the world who sent his son to walk the same dirty streets that we walk every day, to drink the same water we drink every day, to eat the same food that we drink every day, who was in relationships with people and who first and foremost saw other people as worthy and important. Folks, the, 
the, the women that Paul is writing to here, they got to experience the first man ever to recognize him. Nowhere else in the first century was there a movement Nowhere else was there a movement that women gave everything they had to, like the movement of Jesus, because they recognized what it was he was doing. So for those of you in this room who you see a room full of women, it's because we have found our worth and our dignity at the best place we know. It's at the feet of Jesus. Submit yourself to his authority first, and then other things will make sense in your life. So let's, let's read this whole section because there's a section in there for men too. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What's next? Sorry, I've lost my place in my notes. <laughs> Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. But we already talked about how Jesus is operating in the world, right? So husbands, this is you. Men, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We can stay there for just a second. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, so much that he gave himself up for us. Do you hear this transactional relationship is completely out of, out of the place, right? We begin to submit ourselves to the authority of the God who's turning everything on its head. Imagine living in a relationship where you don't care what you get out of it, but you know that investing in it changes everything. Husbands, love your wives that way. Let's keep going. To make her holy, this is talking about the church. Make her holy, set apart is what that word means. She looks different. People in Ephesus are like, wow, look at those people. They're completely different than us. They, they are joy-filled and hope-filled and they're not anxious and crazy. Like we wanna be holy and set apart, Paul says, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Can y'all imagine? If our relationships are right, we are presented to the world as this bright and hopeful light that the world is desperate for, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. That's a little... Um, it, Paul didn't live in 2023. Uh, so, but, but they feed, we do feed and care for our body, right? Just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. And the way we get this right is by recognizing first and foremost whose authority we fall under. How we surrender. When, when we start talking about our box of hopes and dreams and desires? Is it filled of things that, that God wants in that box? Is, it put, is the things that you put in there come after you've spent time at the feet of, of the Savior of the world who came to literally turn the world upside down? Healthy boundaries from Jesus. So if we wanna talk about, sorry, if we wanna talk about healthy boundaries, we're gonna, we're going to have to learn our healthy boundaries from Jesus. So we've learned, Paul says, if you want to be a church that's radiant and bright, 
that's helping to fulfill life-giving relationships. Take your cues from Jesus. Where do we take our cues from, church? Jesus. And that, my friends, means that we aren't using these verses to punish people or bring them down, but they are about building up the kingdom of God. God wants healthy marriages in the world. God wants, God wants you friends that aren't married yet supporting your friends in healthy marriages and healthy relationships. Healthy boundaries are learned at the feet of Jesus. Can I tell you something that Jesus teaches us? Set aside regular time for prayer and connection with God. Jesus, who is known throughout the land back in the day, like everybody, droves of people, thousands of people came to hear him teach and speak and share. Droves of people came to him. And you know what he'd say? I've, I've taught, I've healed, I've done the work. I need to go spend time with my father, God. And he'd go away from the people. He wasn't, he wasn't the fame that he was enticed, could be enticed by. The, the ways that he could have used his power and, and, his, and, and, and the like magic that Jesus had. I don't know any other word for it. He could have wielded that in really unhealthy and abusive ways, right? But what did he do? When, that, when any bit of that threat started to, to leak into his life, he stepped away and he prayed and spent time with God. If you want your relationships to get back on track, you have got to set aside some regular time for prayer and connection with God every single day. Every single day. You can't be the wife, the husband, the spouse, the girlfriend, the partner of, the mom, the dad, the child, the aunt, the co-worker, the colleague, the CEO. You can't be any of those things if you aren't taking time away from your, your, your day to spend time with the God who created you. Who put those hopes, dreams, and desires in your heart and in your box in the first time first place. Jesus did this regularly. See you guys, I got to go spend some time with God over and over and over and over again in the, in, the, in the gospels. We see Jesus going away to do that. Healthy boundaries from Jesus. The second thing he's teaching all these people in Matthew chapter 5, this is the second healthy boundary. I hope you're all writing these down. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be flaky. Don't be flaky in your relationships, in your friendships, with your community. If you said, yes, I want to be a part of this, show up to it. Figure out ways to be a part of it and let your no be no. Don't keep messing around with things that are going to come into your relationship and mess it up. That's where infidelity, all kinds of crazy stuff creeps in. When you aren't clear about your yes being yes and your no being no. These aren't Erica's words. These are the words of Jesus. And he told people, if you want healthy relationships, start establishing some healthy boundaries and let your yes be yes. Yes, I'm going to be a good dad. Yes, I'm going to be a good wife. Yes, I'm going to be a good pastor. Yes, I'm going to be a whatever. Yet let, that, let your yes be yes. And that might mean no to other things. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And finally, the healthy boundary that we learn from Jesus is he expected people to communicate their needs. Okay? When we're talking about how healthy families and relationships work, Jesus expected people to communicate their needs. He didn't. He, he probably could. I mean, he's God. He could have read their minds, right? But he didn't. He expected people to communicate their needs. He looked at, he looked at the folks who were blind, who came to him for healing, and he says, what do you want? And they said, we want to we be healed. We want to see again. He looks at the, the people with the skin disease called leprosy. They come to him. They say, we want to be healed. He says, what do you want to be healed from? We don't want these spots on us anymore. And he heals them. He expects people to communicate their needs. This changes the way we're in relationships. Quit trying to read everybody's mind and ask. 
communicate. What is it that you need? What do you need? And don't be afraid to look at people that you are in a relationship with and say, my hopes, dreams, and desires, these are the things I need to make this happen. Be able to communicate clearly what it is that we need. And do this in small ways, right? Don't expect people to read your mind. Start to communicate what it is that you need. This morning, I want to finish by just really encouraging you. I, I spent a lot of time talking about, um, about what families look like and some boundaries you can put in your life, some unhealthy boundaries. Um, and the, the last thing I'm going to say about all this is that when you find yourself building boundaries, nothing is more important. Nothing is more important than recognizing the boundaries that Jesus tore down. The unhealthy boundaries that Jesus tore down, the things that we build up to isolate ourselves from one another. Jesus spent his time tearing those down and building up healthy ones. So I need to ask you this week, what does it look like in your relationships for you to clearly define your hopes and dreams and desires? Who can you share those with? How, how can you be really clear that you're not passing those off as these heavy and burdensome expectations to other people? Here, fix my problems. Help me find my hopes, dreams, and desires. How are you holding on firmly to those and focusing on those? And there are three boundaries Jesus did a really good job putting in his life, right? This is what I'm going to do. Tomorrow morning, in your inbox, if you are at Horizon Church, you are going to get a... a daily reader for the next 40 days and we're going to read through the gospels about Jesus over the next 40 days. Every day you'll get a couple chapters to read. So if you're like, I have no idea how to spend time with God, this is the way you can do that. Every morning at five o'clock in your email inbox, you're going to get just a quick, read a couple chapters and here's a quick prayer for you to pray. That's going to come tomorrow morning. So if people start unsubscribing from Horizon, I'll know, <laughs> I'll know they didn't want to spend time with God and their boundaries are all out of place. <laughs> so, but that is number one, right? I want you to spend some time with healthy boundaries at the feet of Jesus. Because we will know how to have boundaries in the world. We will know what boundaries to take down and which ones to build up when we spend time with the creator of the world who thinks your worth and your purpose is worth it. If you have never submitted your life to the Jesus who sees you, who knows you, who wants your hopes and dreams and desires to come alive, I hope you don't leave here this morning without submitting and surrendering your life to him. Because at his feet, at his feet, you recognize how worthy you are. You'll see your purpose clearer than you've ever seen it before. And you will be redeemed and restored to share that purpose with a world desperate for your purpose. It's the number one place to start. If you're ready to, to have healthy relationships, have a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ who came to restore all things. One of those letters Paul writes says, Jesus came to restore everything. Your relationships with your families and your co-workers and your marriages. Jesus came to restore it all and he does it by restoring us. If you have never ever given your life to Jesus, I pray this will be the morning that you do that. We all pray with me this morning as the band comes up. God, I thank you. I thank you so much for the people in these seats. I thank you for the relationships that you have given us. And I pray for those of us who are going to spend some time coming up with healthy boundaries for us and our families. I pray, God, that in these boxes of hopes, dreams, and desires that these people hold, God, that, that they, will, they will just come alive in the purpose that you have for them. 
that, that relationships will be restored this morning, that people may be freed up to shine your light and ignite your change. And I pray, God, for the people this morning who maybe have never given their lives to you. May this be the morning that they surrender their lives to you, Jesus, you who see us and know us and redeem us and restore us. We love you, and we thank you so much for loving us. Amen.